Well, this week we are going to complete uh, what we began a number of uh, two weeks ago on uh, lessons on the church. Uh, we are basically doing an overview, which is not traditionally what we do on a Sunday morning. We usually go expositionally through a book of the Bible, and Lord willing, next, um, next week we will start going through the Gospel of John. So next week we'll begin in the Gospel of John with an introduction, and we'll spend the majority of our time going through, through that book on, on Sundays. Uh, but for this week, we need to finish uh, what we began, which is an overview of the church, and we started that uh, about three weeks ago. And so we looked at um, you know, the idea of the, the privilege of the church, uh, the fact that we are a people identified in Christ, uh, we looked at the purpose of the church, uh, which is ultimately to exalt Christ by our lives and our testimony and witness, uh, to proclaim his word. Uh, and we looked at the priority of the church, uh, which is the priority of God's word. And we looked at the polity of the local church, which is how is the church in the scriptures to organize itself and govern itself. And so all of those things we, we looked at. And so this Sunday... We're concluding this little brief series on the church with a look at, um, just in order to keep with the letter P, uh, I put partnership uh, in the local church, but what that really means is uh, looking at the issue of church membership, church membership. Um, so let me ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the testimony of your word and for all of the ways in which it directs us uh, to know you and to serve you and points us to our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you, Father, for uh, the many truths that are contained therein, knowing, as John says, that even if um, he should have recorded uh, everything in a book that Jesus began to say and to do that not all of the books of the world could contain uh, the nature of your character and what you have done for us. But we thank you that you have given us your word to guide us, O oh great Jehovah, and to lead us. And so now, Father, we are looking at a, at a topic that is um, really somewhat, I guess you could say, uncomfortable or controversial, Father, for a lot of people. Um, and it's the issue of uh, commitment into your church. Um, and I just pray, Lord, that this would be beneficial for all of us that are sitting here, uh, whether or not we are members uh, committed to this body or not, Father, that ultimately uh, your word would have its way on the hearts of your children, uh, convince some uh, that may not be convinced, and, and really just um, guide and lead us, Father, into truth, because ultimately, Lord, that's what we desire. We desire to know you better, to be obedient to you, and ultimately uh, to serve you faithfully in this life. And so we ask to bless this study and bless our church and strengthen us in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So let's start with a couple questions. So what comes, don't have to answer this out loud, but what comes to your mind when I say the word church? Uh, maybe you think a gathering of Christians, or you think personal connections, maybe the word worship, love, help, support, maybe you think hypocrites, I mean, sinners, I don't know what comes to your mind, but um, maybe you think Jesus, 
the gospel, singing, teaching, fun, youth group, friends, family, boring, dull, outdated, irrelevant, dead, etc. So I don't know how you answer that question. I'm sure you have many different thoughts. Now, if I say, what comes to your mind when I add the two words, local and membership, as in local church membership, and perhaps you think, well, that's not in the Bible, it's not needed, it's too demanding, it's scary, it's uncomfortable, it's friendly, and maybe you thought, boy, this pastor's a part of a local church degrowth movement, <laughs> right? Because it's just so unpopular. If, I, if you had one of those reactions to local church membership, uh, you're not alone. So much of the mindset is captured by what some have aptly titled in our culture and, and Christianity, the Lone Ranger Christian. Um, and that really fits in with the self-centered and individualistic and consumer-driven mentality of the world we live in, right? Less and less marked by commitment, our culture, and more and more marked by um, the self. And you see this reflected, right, in marriages, you see it reflected in politics, you see it reflected in broken families. This idea of commitment is something that our culture at large is having a harder and harder time understanding or doing. People just aren't ultimately interested in being committed to something. We kind of think we want freedom in, in every way possible. And so many people will disregard this topic of church membership and they find it uncomfortable and unwarranted. And so when asked, are you a member of a local church? I don't know if you've ever asked anyone that. Uh, the response that I've always received, not always, but it looks something like this. You a member of a local church? No, the scriptures don't contain the command, thou shalt make sure you are a member of a local church. Therefore, becoming a member of a local church is not important. I can be just as good of a Christian without being committed to the local church. As long as I am justified by faith alone, why do I need to be part of a local church? Am I not included in the universal church when I placed my faith in Christ? Local church membership is more problematic and counterproductive for my spiritual growth. I can do all I need to do as a Christian by myself. Does that sound fair? I'm pretty sure it's a lot of people think about being a member in a church. And so we're going to talk about this and what the scriptures, I think, say about committing to a church. But I, at the outset, I do want you to know that as I, as I go through this, if, you don't, if you're not a member of a church and you don't right now think that it is necessary for you as a Christian, I just want you to know that the, the goal of this message is not to strong arm you into committing to this church. Like, that is not, that is not my goal. Um, I'm not in any way suggesting that local church membership is a salvation issue, okay? I'm not saying that this is a salvation issue. This is not like the atonement 
This is not like justification by faith. Um, this is not a matter of something like the divinity of Jesus and his resurrection, okay? You need to understand that. But the reality is that this hesitancy to commit to a local church, I, I don't believe has been the norm throughout the Christian church. And it's certainly um, not the norm as far as the biblical record is concerned. And so I'm, I'm going to present that case to you this morning. And now if you're here and you are a member of this church um, and you believe that church membership is important and it's biblical, um, understand that this message is also for, for you. It's a reminder for you, beloved, who are committed to this church of your responsibilities to the local church. So I, I hope you take it that way so that it's not just for those that aren't members, but, but for those who are, it's a reminder for what, take it as a reminder of what God expects of you in this church and how to serve one another, okay? So it is true that there is no biblical command to keep a membership role in every church. You will not find the command, as I said earlier, you shall make sure you are a member of a local church. Having said that, though, you know that we do believe things, doctrines and truths, um, that aren't always neatly laying on the surface of the Bible. Isn't that, is that true? We, we do, even now, as a church, believe things that are not neatly laying in that kind of clear fashion. So, for example... And we talked about this a couple weeks ago in our Sunday school class. We use the word and we believe in a triune God, right? We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God revealed in three persons, right? The word Trinity is not directly said God is a triune God in the scriptures. You, you won't find that. But we infer from many different passages all throughout the scriptures that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and God is one. Like this is testified all throughout the scriptures, and we believe that because we take that out of the text. The other thing is you won't ever find the word inerrancy in the word of God, right? It doesn't say use that word inerrancy, and yet we use that word to describe that God's word is without error that there is no um, error in all of God's word. It is pure, it is right, and, and we use that word to describe this concept of inerrancy because it's all laid out through the scriptures. And so not everything is neatly laid out on top. Inerrancy probably more so than the Trinity, but you get the point. So, so Jesus himself infers truth from scripture. So for example, in Luke 20, verse 37, Jesus defends the resurrection from the Old Testament, from Exodus 3, and he uses a verb tense to do it. Do you remember in Luke 20, 37, Jesus says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and Jesus concludes, 
quoting that verse from Exodus 3, that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so he uses that passage to support the doctrine and the teaching and the truth of the resurrection. Okay? So that's what I'm saying. There's inferences. And I point that out because that's really what we're talking about when we talk about local church membership. There, there is a lot that can be said historically, culturally, practically, but what I want to focus on is this morning is on demonstrating that church commitment, church membership is not a novel idea, and it's not because churches want to control people. This, I don't want to, this is not about controlling anyone. It's just I believe that it's a biblical idea, okay? And that's what we're going to look at. It's a faithful and necessary inference from the biblical record, and it's consistent with the broad themes of Scripture. So that's our goal to see is make your case, Pastor. I will try to do that. Okay, so let's begin here with looking at this, what I'm going to say is a bird's eye view of Scripture, okay? What, what is the Scripture, how, how does it kind of point us to this idea of committing to a local church? And to begin, we will look at three, three points, okay, under this, this first bird's eye view. And the first thing I would say is when you look at the scriptures, God has always been concerned about the separation of his people from the world. This is, this is just hands down the truth. The calling of Abraham in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 2 is indicative of that desire. Here's, here's what God says in Genesis 12, 1 to 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And then, of course, the promise is given to the offspring of Abraham in verse 7, which is a very specific group distinct from the rest of the world. And so then this promise is carried out in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel that came out of Abraham. And you read through the Exodus account in Exodus 8 to 12, and you'll read multiple times that God wants to make a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. So in Exodus 8.23, God says, Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Exodus 11.7 says, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And then, of course, the Passover is given to distinguish between God's people and not God's people. And the entire book of Leviticus is given as a set of laws that were meant to distinguish Israel from the rest of the world in how they approached God, how they treated each other, and how they treated strangers, etc. So the first point is that the idea of God having pub a publicly recognized people is not foreign in the scripture. People set apart unto him, not spiritually only, but visibly in the world, okay? 
This is the bird's eye view. This is what God has done. He's set apart a people unto himself throughout all of history. Second, if you look at the biblical word for church, which is the word ecclesia, the word is made from a prefix and a root. The prefix is ek or ex, which means out of or from. And the root word is from a word, a uh, verb in Greek, kaleo, which means to call. And so this ecclesia means those who are the called out ones, okay, to call out. And that word is used 114 times in the New Testament. And out of those 114 times, 90 are used in the context of the local church. So we're not talking about the invisible church, but this word is used of a local church gathering. And so the, the very idea of being called out assumes a publicly recognized distinction. So as a lo local church, we are called out from what? And we are called out into what? You understand? That the whole idea of being called out means that there is a publicly recognized people that are called out of something and into something else. And Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen says this. When you come together as a church, okay? Coming together as a church is coming together as a assembly of known individuals who are expected to attend. So to say God is mainly concerned with the universal church and doesn't matter to me, I think is to miss a main thrust of the New Testament on the local church. Paul clearly says, when you come together as a church, it's, it's this defined group of people that he's addressing who are called out from the world and they are called to meet together. Bird's eye view. Third, and we'll get into more specifics in a second, but, but third, I want you to take a moment to consider the many different metaphors given for the church and then ask yourself how these things, these metaphors, would play out if there was no commitment to a local church and if there was no clear distinction between who was in the church and who was not, okay? The, the main metaphor we're going to look at is, is body. So if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Okay. So here's one of the metaphors that is used for God's church. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So I think church membership is also implied in this metaphor. So you remember that Paul here is not writing to the universal church. He's writing to a local church in Corinth. And so the imagery he uses here is that of a, of a member of a body. So like a hand and a foot and an eye and an ear, right? The body is one but has many members. 
The point is that there is a unity and a natural relationship implied in the imagery of the metaphor of the body. So you can look at it this way. There is something unnatural about a Christian attaching himself to a body of believers and not being committed to it. There's something not natural about attaching yourself to a body of believers without being committed to that body. What would it look like if you were, if an ear were hanging out by itself, not attached to a body? It's just kind of close by, the ear is just kind of hanging out there near the, near the head, but it's not really connecting to it. That's kind of weird, that doesn't make any sense. Or what would it, what would it look like if, if you were a foot going out for a walk without your legs? Do you understand, like, the, the, the idea is it, it's, it's unnatural to, to be hanging around a body but never actually being committed to that, to that body. And this can be applied when you look at the concept of building. This is all things the church is called. The building, uh, 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 God's house, a flock, a family, a bride, etc., those things all imply a certain level of commitment to that local church. And so the point that God has always called out his people to be a separate and distinct people, to set them apart to him as a group that were ultimately committed to each other. The idea of commitment and unity within a group of people called out by God is not a new idea. God wants his children to commune together like those metaphors suggest, okay? Now, that's a bird's eye view. And then I think there are some passages that really lay forth this argument for church membership. And it's this. It's really simple. The early church was commanded to do things that could not be done without having some way of knowing who was in the church and who was out. Okay? This is what we're going to look at. The early church was commanded to do things that could not be done without having some way of knowing who was in and who was out. So where do we see that? All right, well, let's start here. Number one, believers are instructed in the scriptures to build up the saints in the church, okay? That's clear. All the saints are responsible for building up one another in Christ, for encouraging, disciplining, discipling, testing, exhorting, nurturing, caring for each other, right? There is no lone soldier saint in Christ, we're part of a greater assembly, and we're all called to build one another up in the church. So if you look at Hebrews 10.24, we read, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more 
as you see the day drawing near. So by our very natures as new creatures in Christ, we are to be involved in the life of the church. We are all part of the body in an active way, carrying out the one another's of God's word. So I gave you a list of verses there of the one another's, okay? Let me just read them. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Okay? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Romans 12, 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Romans 12:10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, forgive one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another, build one another up. 1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. Okay, every one another command shows what the church is about and supposed to be doing. And so this, of course, means, here's the important point that we know and are committed to one another. So my question would be to you, if, mem if you're not a member of this church, who are your anothers? Who are your anothers? And how will you decide who your anothers are if you are not committed to a local church? And are you, this is another question, are you someone else's another? So it's not only who are your anothers to do this, to love, to serve, to encourage, to build up. The, the other question is, are you someone else's another? Is someone able to do that for you? And if not, how will they know if you don't commit to a local, to a church? How will, how will the Christians know that they are to love you and serve you and encourage you and build you up if you are not even committed to the church? Does that make sense? There's no way to know because what could happen is some people, and this often happens, you know, relationships take an investment of energy and time, right? And you only have so much to give. So everyone wants to make sure that we're being good stewards of those things. And it becomes very difficult to know where to invest in someone if they may be here today and then gone tomorrow. Does that make sense? Today you're here, but there's no commitment on your part. You can't expect the church to have a commitment to you then. Is that, I mean, is that fair? If you, if you are going to just say, you know what, I'm out of here. 
and then you leave, then there's, there, you can't have an expectation that the church or the leadership in the church should actually be serving you, but often that's what happens. You have people that attend church that aren't committed to it, and then when they're not reaching, when the church isn't reaching out to them and serving them, an offense settles in, and then people are like, well, I'm out of here. This is an unloving church. This church doesn't care about me. This church doesn't serve me. And yet, just turn it around and say, but are you looking at the church as your one another? And are you committed to it? Okay? So, relationships are important. And so, if we're not going to be a cold and manufactured church, we're going to need to be a committed church to one another and carrying that out and have personal sacrifice. And this is how Jesus puts it in 1 John 3:16. He says, "By this we know love." John puts it like this, "By this we know love that he, the Lord Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us." Jesus laid down his life for us so that he might pay the price for our sin, take our judgment upon himself, atone for our sins, shed his blood that we might be forgiven, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If Jesus loves the church, we should love what? The church. Does Jesus love the church? He loves the church so much that he gave his own life to die for sinners in that church. Beloved, the inference from that is we all, even members or not members of this church, we all need to love the church more and to love the church like that. So the question that's raised by these observations is whether or not we can love and serve and build up the church. Can you love and serve and build up the church without being committed to it? Can you love and serve and build up the church without being committed to it? I'm going to just let that rest for you, beloved. Now, who should you lay your life down for? Number two point. Believers are instructed to be accountable to the leaders of a church, okay? This is what the scripture says. So look at, oh, I'll just read it, Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Again, he is writing to a local church, a group of believers, and he's calling them to obey their leaders 
And so two things are assumed here, right? First, it has to be assumed that he assumes, whoever's writing this, that the people know which leaders they are to obey and submit to. Is that an assumption fair to make? They know who their, who their leaders are, and so they are not called to submit to every leader from any church. So if you pick your favorite leader, preacher online, you know, I know we, we have many of them that are well-known names. Pick your favorite online preacher. The author is not saying you are to submit to and obey that online preacher. While they may help you in your walk, there is no personal connection there, right? You're not being called to submit to your favorite church preacher who doesn't even know your name. So the second assumption, not only do, does it, this command assume that they know the leader, but the second assumption is that the leaders know who it is they must give an account for. So without a defined leadership, the leaders would not know. Leadership in a local church is not accountable for any person who shows up on Sunday. Is that fair? The, the leadership in any local church is not responsible for everyone that comes through the door, but for a specific people. Acts 20, 28, said, Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, get this, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So he's not saying the church at large. He's not instructing these elders to be pastors of the universal church. 1 Peter 5, 2-3 says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So he says those in your charge signifying that God has given a specific group of believers to an under-shepherd to care for, or under-shepherds. And so the elders are to be responsible for a particular flock, and they need to know who that flock is, who are the elders and the pastors responsible for, for whom will they give an account if there's no way of distinguishing between people. Okay, it reminds me actually of a, there was a new church that popped up in Vista. And I remember it started meeting in a, in a building where our church, not this church, but the church, other church I went to attended. And the name of the church was uh, Courageous. So I, I was interested. I said, oh, that's interesting that that church now is meeting in that place, and so I decided to look up online and to see what Courageous Church is about, this group of people meeting in that building. And it was so interesting to me as I looked online and I did some research, and the very front page in the beginning of the website, this, it was a co-pastor, him, this man and his wife, and the man identified himself as the pastor 
for North County, San Diego. He identified himself as the pastor for all of North County, San Diego. And I remember thinking, wow, right? Uh, that's quite a responsibility. Like, how are you going to pastor all of North County, San Diego? How in the world are you going to know who is a Christian under your care and who is not? And when I come before God on Judgment Day to give an account for those that God has called me to shepherd, I wouldn't want to be in those shoes. I wouldn't want to be in those shoes. But on a local church level, it's the same thing. Like, elders in a local church, Mike in his local church that he's a pastor of, and this local church, we need to give an account. I, and I take that seriously. Like, I need to answer to God for the way that I shepherd those that he places under my care. And, and if I don't know who's really committed to this church, like, I don't, I don't, it's really difficult to figure out who I need to give an account for. So I, I think that this is inferred from this passage that it was known. Okay, third point. Believers are instructed to exercise discipline in the church. So turn to Matthew 18. So one of the things a church is, is called to do is to be holy, uh, to live right before God, and part of the way that a church is to be holy and pure um, as can be, right, is to sometimes exercise discipline in a church if there is outright sin that needs to be dealt with and is unrepentant. A church is supposed to exercise a, a church discipline that removes that, that unrepentant professing Christian from its midst. And so Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, tell, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay. If he does not listen to you, you ultimately tell it to who? The church. What church? That's a simple question. What church? Do we assume, do we announce it on social media to all of Christianity? Do we announce it to the universal church? This brother or sister sinned, I'm going on Facebook, and I'm telling it to the church, Christianity, this, this guy's a sinner. <laughs> no, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Tell it to the church. What church? The church, a defined local group of believers that are committed to each other. Tell it to that church so that church can remove and call that sinning brother or sister to repentance. 
How in the world can we obey Matthew 18, 15, 17 if we have no idea who's in the church or not? Right? You can't. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 12 to 13, Paul says that God says, for what I have to, what, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. All right? If there's no way to distinguish inside and outside, what does this even mean? What does this even mean if there's no way to distinguish for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. This makes no sense if there's no commitment. There has to be a possibility of exclusion from the church, and that possibility implies that there's a way that you can know. You can't exclude someone from an undefined group. It reminds me, again, we're almost done here, so just give you a second, but I don't like Hollywood. I don't like much of what comes out in Hollywood, and we have a hard time as a family trying to find things to watch. Um, but one of the shows that very selectively I, we let our kids watch sometimes, and you may not like, and there's a lot of bad things I think sometimes questionable things that come up, but it's this show, this show Seinfeld, super popular when I was a kid. And there was one episode that just stuck in my mind. And um, it's this one actor, this one guy, Kramer's his name, he goes and he gets a job, but he was never hired. He was never hired in the job, and he just decided to go to this place of employment, and he started working there, and he started bringing his briefcase, and started coming to work every Sunday, and he's sitting at the table. I mean, not every Sunday, every, every weekday, and he's sitting there and working, and the guy comes to him and the boss of all the company, and he says, hey, um, you know, I don't think this is going to work out, because he didn't know anything about the job. I don't, I don't think this is going to work out. And he says, we're going to have to let you go. And then the guy, Kramer, says, well, I don't even work here. And the guy says, I know. That's what makes this so awkward, right? <laughs> I, I got to kick you out. I got to get you out of this job, but you don't even, you're not even work, a, an employee here. It's, it's the same idea with the church, right? Like, how do you discipline someone in disobedience and sin as a church, and they just say, well, I'm not even a member here, right? So it's awkward. All right. Could go on, but let's go to the fourth point, okay? The church distinguished, and this is more of a general point, the church did distinguish between members and non-members in the church, and you can see that Paul assumes in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, that these Corinthians know when the whole church is present. So here, and this is what we're inferring from 1 Corinthians 14, 23. Paul writes, 
If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Okay? So when Paul's writing this to the Corinthian church, he's obviously assuming that they know when the whole church comes together and that they know when outsiders or unbelievers come in. Is that, does that make sense? He, he, he can't say this unless they know. And so he's saying when the whole church comes in, there's a way of knowing when the whole church is present because that word whole assumes a, different, a definite and known number. And you see this played out in Acts, Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized. And what does he say? And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to what? They weren't just baptized and released. They were added to an already existing number of believers that, that there was an account for. And when you were baptized, beloved, you should be added to a local church body. You should be added to a local church body. Uh, Acts 4.4, 4, the number of the men came to about 5,000. So clearly they kept track. All right. So bird's eye view, God's word. God has always called out his people to be a separate and distinct people. God has always set apart a people as a group. God has always expected that group of people to be committed to each other. And then we moved on to these very specific instructions given to the church in the New Testament that really do imply that there must have been a way to identify who was in a church and who was not. There is no command, you shall take church membership. But beloved, I think the scriptures are clear and it assumes that as a believer, you will commit to a local church. And I want you to know that that is a gift to you as a child of God. Being committed to Christ and to his body is a gift for you. And if you've considered these passages this morning, I hope that you'll see the importance of that. It was so important to these believers that being excluded from a local church was a very weighty matter. And so the question I leave you with is, are you an accountable member of a local church? Not just is your name somewhere, but are you committed to a church? And if you're coming here, I would encourage you to commit to this church if this is where the Lord has you so that you might serve and build up the family of God on a weekly basis and that you might use your gift in the body of Christ. It's good for you. It's, it's a blessing to you and it's important for you. And for you who are members of this church, just remember that we are... We are here to serve and to love one another. And it means that we, we lay down our lives for each other to care for one another. And you know what? If there are people at the church here that aren't members, 
it, this message doesn't mean love them less or serve them less, right? We love all of those who are in this church and we are to care for those who are believers attending that aren't members. And, um, but it is really just a matter of taking time sometimes for people to commit to a church, and I get that. But we love you if you're not a member of the church. We still love you and care for you, but we would just encourage you to commit to this body so that we might more fully know to commit to you, okay? So church membership. If you have any questions, you can talk to me after the service. And what we would like to do is if you are interested in becoming a member of the church, um, we're not asking for blood and sacrifice and these kinds of things, right? We're, we're, just, we're just saying make your commitment public. And if you would like to do that, come and talk to me. I know Andy and um, Darcy have spoken to me about that and uh, some others. But um, just come and talk to me and we can um, get you on the, the path to membership at this church, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, giving us your word and for those, those truths that are contained in it that um, sometimes are just clearly seen if we would just stop and reflect a little bit on your word. And, and I know, Lord, that this is an uncomfortable topic for many, and I pray, Lord, that they would not feel unloved or or threatened, and, and they would not feel like in any way that we are chasing anyone away from this gathering. We, we love those who you bring here who love you and who we believe are Christians and are saved and redeemed and forgiven, and we're grateful, Father, that they could be here with us Sunday after Sunday and sit under your word and, and even, even in some ways help in the church in, in many different ways. And we're just grateful that they're here, and we ask that you would continue to bless them and encourage them, uh, continue to build them up. Uh, but Lord, we do pray that you would also be working on their hearts and minds and just remind them that um, we, we would like to continue to love them and to serve them, um, but we'd also like to know that they love us and, and desire to serve us as long as you keep them here. And, and so for all of us, Father, um, we just want to publicly proclaim our love for you and for this church and to um, faithfully serve you here at this place. For those that are visiting, Father, and going to go back to their home churches, we pray for them, uh, that you would bless them and, and remind them of the church that you have placed them in back at home. Uh, remind them of the love that binds them in Christ and the forgiveness of sin that unites them in Jesus. Uh, may they faithfully go back to their churches to serve and to care for one another, to love one another, to build one another up, and, and really just to be an active part of that ministry there at that church. Uh, we do all of this, Father, uh, not because we are trying to earn our salvation, but because we believe it's good for us as believers uh, to exercise a commitment and a love. So bless us now as we conclude our service with song and uh, may Christ be praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.